When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on On The Mark, I got a letter from someone. We're going to talk about James Harden and the no-call. Tom Thibodeau and his playoff predictions from the former Bulls and Minnesota Timberwolves head coach. Nick Bosa, how did he end up with the San Francisco 49ers? Eddie George, the former running back on the show. Ethan Blumenthal, he's got thoughts on the NFL and the draft fashion of Nashville. And B.J. Armstrong, the former Chicago Bull. And we'll wrap it up with a tip for baseball and how to handle extra innings. Please subscribe to On The Mark. We really appreciate it. Subscribe, give a rating. On The Mark comes out every Monday afternoon. Thank you for checking out On The Mark. My name is Mark Carmen. we got a great show for you today. Eddie George on the program, one of the great running backs in the history of the NFL. We'll talk a little draft and a little NFL overall with Eddie. B.J. Armstrong, former Chicago Bull, three-time NBA champion on the program. A little snippet from Tom Thibodeau as well. But I want to start with something that is on my heart. And I woke up this morning coming in to do the podcast, picking up my mail, and I get mail, which I never actually get. Who sends people mail? But here's the letter. Hi, Mark. I hope this helps your toes. Uh, And I've talked on the radio how I've got an arthritic big toe at 45 years old. And the one thing that I love to do more in life than this podcast is to play tennis and softball and basketball and how my whole career of playing until I'm 80 is on the line right now. And I feel like there's nothing I can do. So I talked about this. This man sends me a letter. I hope this helps your toes. It will take the pressure off your joint that may be arthritic. It will, as you walk, give better blood flow, blood flow Excuse me, from your toe and joint. Use both on your feet to balance as you walk. Try them. Please let me know if you've received them and how they work for you. I'm a big Bears fan and enjoy listening to your show on WGN. His name is Anthony. Anthony, I have received the gel toe spacers. I'm going to try out the gel toe spacers, and I thank you for the gel toe spacers, which hopefully will work. But more so than anything else, I just can't believe that somebody would take the time to actually write a handwritten letter, go to CVS, buy gel toe spacers, and send them in the mail to me. This makes me feel like I matter, someone cares. And, uh, and I just wanted to open up the podcast today and say thank you 
for doing that because that is just something that does not happen every day. By the way, Jasmine Wimbish is in studio with me right now. We're going to talk NBA and James Harden, and you're smiling at me. That's not amazing. Wow. I'm, I, first of all, the fact that you open mail from just a random stranger and that it's not laced with anthrax, that's what I'm impressed with. See, I like, trust the world. That I, I'm super cynical when it comes to the world, mainly because every time I've gotten random mail from strangers, it's super religious of like, you need to join this religion before you go to hell or something crazy. Well, that's what I thought it was going to be, but yeah. it was the gel toe spacers. I mean, this, this man cares. That's super sweet. Uh, isn't that adorable? Yeah. Now you have to send him something, and you have, like, a little male friend. Uh, I'm going to... It's like to... a 90s rom-com movie now. Okay, fine. I'll, I, I hadn't... <laughs> All right. He, uh, he left an email. There's no address. Okay. So I'll maybe write him a note, although that does get a little dicey. I did that once, and well, I, ended up, I ended up with a stalker for 20 years. Well, he now has your address, so I think you should already be concerned. But he sent, he sent it to work. Okay. So okay. he doesn't quite have my address okay. yet and yeah. then so That's a bit safer. i i don't i can't make any promises on what i'm going to do going forward um okay let us talk about the nba and james harden and the houston rockets and the golden state warriors and the refereeing james harden is a great basketball player yes and the more i watch the playoffs here i'm starting to think that james harden really should have been the mvp okay because Giannis is struggling to score the basketball at least he did in game one and that's the biggest skill in the game, although Giannis did do it uh, during the regular season. But playoff basketball is a little bit different, Absolutely. and I, th- I think well, it is a regular season award. So that's okay. I think that's ridiculous in itself. But yeah. just a conversation for another time. James Harden on the three that would have tied the game mm-hmm. late in the ball game did not get fouled. That is not a foul. You shot. The jump shot, you're, nobody touched your elbow, nobody touched your shoulder, nobody bumped you as you shot it. And as you moved forward, then you collided with the defender. It's not a foul. So to go, in, in my mind, at least in the integrity, if you have integrity of basketball and you don't want to be a whiny little bitch, for lack of putting it any better on the podcast, you don't say anything. I missed the shot. I had an open shot. I missed it. We should have been in overtime. James Harden wants to blame the referees, and if anybody has a beef, it's Chris Paul, Mm -hmm. who was mugged after he got the rebound. That was a foul. But for James Harden to sit up there when he's crashing into people because of his own forward momentum on his jump shot, it was ridiculous. The Warriors won game one. That's what he should say. Step up there. We're not going to talk about the refereeing. I'm not going to make this a big issue about our team, and we're going to do our best to get game two. What were your thoughts? I'm actually surprised I agree with you, but I also see the other side of it in the fact that the rule of a foul is you have to allow the shooter to have landing space, which Draymond Green did not allow James Harden to land. And it includes if you are jumping forward. So if you land in a different spot than where you jumped from, that includes your landing space. So technically, it is a foul. Do I think it's stupid as hell? Absolutely. And I'm glad the referees didn't call that, mainly because they hadn't been calling it all game. It happened on both sides. No one was being able to land, you know, whatever. It's a stupid, it's a stupid rule, and I hate it. But I agree. Like, the Houston Rockets, they shot 29% from, from the three. Like, that's not because of the referees. If the rule is that I can shoot the ball from half court, and if I, if I run up, and then if I land five feet further, and the defender is there, and then I crack into him, then that's a dumbass rule. That's the rule, though, and it is dumbass. I, I 100% okay. agree. It's well, stupid as hell. But it's the, the referee isn't, is, is actually watching the game, which he's watched his whole life, mm-hmm. and he's been on the court, and he's, in, he's interpreting 
basketball is very hard to referee. You could call a foul on every play if you wanted. The game would be boring as hell. He's, he's looking at what just happened there. Oh, you shot a clean shot. You Okay, at the very end you landed, but the ball was long gone. It's the most important shot of the game. I'm not bailing you out right now. Yeah. No, no chance. I thought they, he, got a, he got the benefit of a, of a questionable call on a drive that was an and one that when it was a five-point game that made it a one-possession game where he shot a layup. It was a beautiful, beautiful job by Harden. Mm-hmm. But I, I, mean, I, 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 I love to complain about the referees, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to complain about that particular call. Well, and you, like, we have two teams who are probably in the league, top two teams who complain to the referees more often than not. And uh, Sam Amick who works, works for The Athletic, he wrote an article last night about how the Houston Rockets basically have been compiling information to send to the league's office in complaint of the Warriors and how they get all of these calls that they shouldn't be getting. So they kind of knew what they were doing going into this game of like, we're going to try and do all these shots, try and get fouls, try and get Steph Curry out of the game and do all these things, and it didn't work. So now what? They right. don't have another plan. Uh, and there is – this is goes back in NBA time forever where coaches after games who didn't get a call will lobby after the game in hopes that they'll get one mm-hmm. in the next game. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's fine. But within the locker room, and, I, and I, maybe this is going on in Houston – it can't be about the referees. It's got to be about what you got to do better. If, and if Houston is somehow, some way going to upset the Golden State Warriors, which I don't think is going to happen, mm-hmm. their focus needs to be on themselves, not the three bozos who are running around with the whistle. I, I agree. How many games do you think the series is going? I mean, I, I think Houston wins, it, wins one game. Okay. Five, five. games. What do you think? I, I Before the series started, I said five, but I think it's going to be six just because I think Houston – there's going to be a game where James Harden scores like 56 points and is like Houston shoots 50% from the three-point line, and it'll be in Houston, and, you know, they'll get two. But I think everyone is expecting it to go seven, which I don't understand why. Houston's not as good as they were last year. Their bench is terrible. It's literally just James Harden out there. Chris Paul is way too emotional to actually – contribute anything on the floor Eric Gordon is your second best player let's talk about uh, I I think that the well the thought process is that Golden State is not playing as well as they were playing last year although they did not play very well in that in that series no. so I, I think that's part of it the other part is that uh, Houston at home in this series playing with that crowd I could see them I could see Golden State have some trouble winning on the road the other side of it is during after the game yesterday, mm-hmm. I tweeted out, "It is what a luxury yeah. for the Golden State Warriors." Which I mean, yesterday it was just, "Oh, we're in trouble down the stretch. Give the ball to KD. We'll, we'll, we'll throw it to you in the post. We'll throw. We'll give it to you on the perimeter. Go do something." And time and time again, he's making plays. Now they got, you know, matchups get crossed all the time, so he's shooting over Chris Paul, mm-hmm. whatever. It does, but the bottom line is, it's such a luxury for them. So I put out that I put out the tweet. What a luxury for the Warriors. And Hunter Armour, our esteemed boss, what, <laughs> starts writing, about, well, I forget the exact tweet, but complain basically, well, which one is it? Is, is, is KD running? I'll read the tweet right here as he's handing it to me. I said, he writes, I thought KD joined a championship team and took the easy way. Now the Warriors are lucky to have him. Which way is it? And you wrote back, it's both. And yes. damn right, it is exactly both. Because yeah. he, he has taken the easy way where – He's going to this team where, but so 
all he's got to do is hit some big shots in the fourth quarter, which is huge. Well, I don't, I don't think it's all he has to do. The way I see the, the Warriors is KD has to be the best person on that team. And then if you need someone like Steph Curry to unleash his Steph Curry-ness, then you do that. And he did that yesterday. The entire, and I tweeted about it. Like, the entire time the Rockets are concerned with containing KD. Then at the end of the game, Steph Curry jacks up some bullshit and makes it and just walks down the court like, yeah, I'm still here. That was so, I was so annoyed. Like, dude, like, you, KD's been doing the whole fourth quarter. Yeah. You made one shot. You're going to act like you're on fire and just scored 50? Exactly. Just, just act like you've been there, dude. Yeah. You, you've done nothing today relative to what you normally do. And so I think I, I get that it's Steph Curry's team. He's, you know, Golden State through and through and all that stuff. But... One, Kevin Durant's the best player on the team. I don't think that's debatable. But he's the guy who has to put up the numbers throughout the entire playoffs. And then you add in the surrounding pieces. Klay Thompson has to do good. Steph Curry has to do good. But they don't all three have to be on. Because Kevin Durant can go for 40, 50 points. We've seen it throughout the playoffs already. Yep. Uh, That was just off. Come come on, Steph. You're better than that. I mean, that's Steph Curry's demeanor. And I, I love Steph Curry. I do. There's sometimes I'm just like, you haven't done anything all game. Relax. The clay thing, too, uh, just that, that ankle, one more little landing incorrectly. Well, especially if the whole landing call is not being called and he lands on someone's foot. I, yeah, but I don't, okay, I don't think the landing thing is not being called. And for James Harden to go back to that, to but invoke. It's, like, it's not. It wasn't, I watched the entire game and there were, se- there were several possessions. Like, the Houston Rockets have a right to be pissed off because there are several times throughout the game where it happened to Chris Paul, it happened to James Harden. Now they're baiting the Warriors into doing that. They're purposely throwing their butt out or kicking their legs out to do it, but that's the foul, and the referees have to call it by the rule book. Do we think the Warriors are playing dirty? Because I don't. No, no right. I don't think they're playing dirty. I so, think they're just playing tough basketball. Okay, so my problem is when the, you invoke Kawhi and we're going back to Zaza Pachulia. Now that, that was dirty because Zaza Pachulia is a dirty player. Zaza Pachulia deliberately stuck his foot out to Absolutely. try to get Kawhi to land on it. That was, and, and, and he did, yeah. which is why he got hurt. Now, the, ch- the chance... Kawhi hasn't been the same since. I, I don't... I just... I, well... Until, now he is. Until game one. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Against the Sixers, which, speaking of, uh, I loved the Raptors in that series, feeling incredibly confident about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, just want to bring out that I did, and I know you'll back me on this, I've been saying Boston... For a long time. Yes, you have. And it is a long series. It's only one game, 112 to 90. But uh, as the Celtics win in Milwaukee. But we had Tom Thibodeau on the podcast. I just want to bring back this clip where I brought up Boston. And Tibbs is in agreement. The Celtics are going to come out of the Eastern Conference. I think the, the East has gotten a lot stronger. I think you, when you look at uh, the way uh, Toronto has played, Milwaukee's played, uh, Philly's coming on. They, they made some major trades during the season. And the, the team that I think is real dangerous is Boston. I think they're they're built for the playoffs. See, I think – and that's that's interesting because I think the Celtics are going to come out of the East. But uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm alone on the branch there, Tibbs. Do you, if you had to put a couple couple dollars on it, who do you think comes out of the East? Uh, that, that's a great question, but I agree with you. I, I think Boston is really strong. I, I don't like the injury to Smart because I think he brings so much toughness to that team. But in some ways, they they almost this year was harder for them than last year because they had almost too much talent. You know, with with uh, getting Gordon Hayward back and, and Kyrie being back, and now you're you're dividing up the playing time even 
even more. So sometimes guys aren't in the same rhythm. I thought last year Rozier really played well, and I, I thought we saw the emergence of Tatum and Brown. Uh, but I like the, the depth, and I think the way they play, their defense is terrific. Uh, Baines is a big part of that. Horford is a big part of that. Morris is a big part of that. But the, the way the Celtics can shoot threes, they can they can make you pay, too. So there's Tom Thibodeau, former head coach of the Chicago Bulls, former president head coach in Minnesota. Uh, Tibbs was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. You can check out the episode. Love Tibbs. Hopes he, I really hope that Tom Thibodeau gets another gig. Uh, he deserves one. He wins. How about you, Los Angeles Lakers? You could deserve some order and structure and get your stuff together. I think that would fit perfectly. Jasmine, you don't ever like it. I'm not going to let you talk about that because I don't want you dogging Tom Thibodeau. I'm just, I, just, I just don't think he's going to get another coaching job. He, he might not. Yeah. He, might, I, he might not. I think he should. Yeah. Look, the Bulls have had the, Bulls have the best success they ever had with him. Mm-hmm. Minnesota made the playoffs for 13 years. Yeah. Jimmy just acted like an idiot because Jimmy has turned into an idiot. Um any rate, okay. Let, let's let's move on to the NFL draft. The draft in Nashville was super cool uh, because the entire city of Nashville seemingly turned out for the NFL draft. So the what visu- else is there to do in Nashville? They got a nice music scene in Nashville, good Ryman Theater, but uh, you know, and anywhere any a zillion bars. But this was this was impressive. Uh, I got one beef with the NFL draft. Okay, and. The San Francisco 49ers were picking number two overall. You had a lot of good players because you're picking number two overall. You had Quinn and Williams, who a lot of people think are going to be the best player in the draft. You had uh, Cleland Farrell, who the Raiders shockingly took, but I've talked to some NFL people who absolutely love him and what, what he was able to do at Clemson. You had my guy, Josh Allen, at Kentucky, who went seven to the Jaguars, an absolute steal, because I don't know what the New York Giants were doing taking Daniel Jones. Uh, Tampa Bay was in love with Devin White. But the 49ers loved Nick Bosa, who had come out and had called Colin Kaepernick a clown and had liked multiple racist tweets. Mm -hmm. And here you are, the number two pick in the draft, as San Francisco... So the, the poster child of, of the whole Colin Kaepernick era, and you're going to make him the number two overall pick, and I know he's going on a ton of shows to try and show that he's a good guy. And, when we, and we interviewed him, too. Mm-hmm. He talked about how he wished that the world was, a, was an NFL locker room, and that, you know, which was a very beautiful sentiment. Sure. However, I would not have made him the number two pick overall. In the fourth round, you want to give him another chance? I'm not saying he doesn't belong in the NFL. He does. But as the San Francisco 49ers at number two, I wouldn't have done it. It just feels way off to me. I just, I don't, again, I always say this when any of these topics come up, I don't get why we're surprised that it happened at the NFL. Like, yeah, the 49ers in San Francisco, an incredibly progressive liberal city for what it's worth. But it's still a football team. It's still a business. I'm not surprised that this happened. He was graded on talent alone. I don't think he should have been drafted number two overall because I think he's a trash human being, but whatever. But this is what the NFL does. And the whole Kaepernick thing, 
he could have been on any team. It doesn't like, I get that. It's like, Oh, he's, it was happened with the 49ers. That could happen anywhere. It's not like they talk about that, like in a good thing. So, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's, I think you summed it up incredibly whether that he was drafted on talent alone. Yeah. However, I do wonder, here's a guy talent alone, a lot of talented guys in that locker room, mm-hmm. a lot of guys in that locker room who think they're just as good and or better than Nick Bosa. Let's see what you got. Young man who played three games last year as a junior got hurt. I think there's some, there's some question marks too there. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, so he hasn't played in a year and a half. So he, he's walking into that locker room. Mm-hmm. I, I don't anticipate his greeting to be, uh, you know, the most welcoming, right? I mean, here's a guy coming in. You've liked racist tweets. This locker room is ninety percent African American. Yeah. I mean, how what, what does that look like? Him walking in there. I mean, I don't know too much about the 49ers locker room now, but just from experience and how we've seen people. You know, with uh, the Milwaukee Brewers reliever, uh, Josh Hader, and how people stuck up for him. And you have other players doing these things. And it's like, this is not the person that I know. So they just kind of erase that from their memory. Now with Nick Bosa, it's different because this is what they know of him because they don't know him. So it is going to be interesting to see how those players react to him and if they're going to welcome him into their you know fraternity, as you if you want. But I, I don't think it'll be that big of an issue. I think it'll be from an outward perspective of how the 49ers are viewed. And some will look the other way, and some will. Yeah. will he's going to have to earn his way, and even if he does earn his way, they still might never, not you know, might not appreciate the fact that he's in the locker room. Would rather he wasn't around. I mean, the NFL does a really good job of sweeping these things away, and kind of. I mean, like you said, he's been going on like a redemption tour and doing all of these things and whatever. That's great. All, for a year from now, I don't think anyone's going to talk about this. That's probably true. That's so, probably true. Unfortunately, that's the way the NFL's ran. That's the way the country and the world is ran. If someone says something racist or homophobic or something, we, you know, shit on them for a little while and then they do something great and then it's like, all right, well, all is forgiven. That we are a by the moment society. Yeah, what is next? What am I getting at Starbucks? I don't, I mean, it's. Yeah. Nick Bosa in San Francisco when he runs out on the field the first time, 49ers fans, you, you don't need to stand up and go bananas for him. That's, Do you uh, think he'll get booze? Uh, I think there'll be a, there'll be, I think you will hear in some corners of the, of Levi stadium, there will be some boost very, very thin. There'll be three people hunters from San Francisco shaking his head. No, I bet you there's, I'm saying there's at least three people in San Francisco that are going to boo Nick Bosa when he runs out. I think they'll be at home, but, uh, I yeah. mean, football has been proven to be more important than anything. Apparently, so, football. you know, that's just how these things are. Love football. <laughs> All right, let's uh, speaking of football, let's bring in uh, one of the well, the greatest running back in the history of the Tennessee Titans, and a guy who uh, has some inc- incredibly impressive numbers with durability, uh, second only to Jim Brown in uh, being on the field and not missing games to start his career. Uh, Eddie George with us to talk some NFL draft, and Eddie's got a very interesting life journey where he. He went through some ups and downs and coming out on the other side. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation with Eddie. Let's bring him in right now. Only the second NFL running back to rush for 10,000 yards, never missing a start. The other is Jim Brown. Eddie George, when you hear that, and I know your dad was a huge fan of Jim Brown, does that still make you smile to this day? Oh, absolutely. Um, you mentioned in any sentence with Jim Brown or Earl Campbell or um, uh, Walter Payton. I mean, that's uh, an honor to receive. Those guys are all-time greats. 
and not just great on the, on the football field, but also great in life, man. So um, I try to uh, emulate uh, what they've been able to do both on and off the football field in my own personal life and, and build my own uh, brand, if you, if you will. So um, it's, it's great. Yeah, and only Walter started more consecutive regular season games than you. You had 128. Walter was at 170. What drove you to be out there every single week, you know, playing NFL football? That is not easy to do. Uh, um, my will to win. Um, I felt like my team needed me still. And, I mean, there were days where I felt like I couldn't play uh, the game or I was hurt or dealing with so many injuries. But, you know, I had some great leaders and examples like Bruce. Matthews, who was um, Iron Man, who never missed a game uh, in, in like 19 years. So, you know, when I see him prepared week in and week out, uh, getting ready to play, if he could walk on the field hurt and injured and play through the pain, I, I could too. And I played with Steve McNair. So we all kind of follow suit with the same philosophy. And I have to say, I was tremendously blessed. Uh, I wasn't blessed with, I mean, I wasn't um, injury riddled to the point where I couldn't play or required surgery. I had my aches and pains and bruises and so forth, but nothing that would keep me out of the game. So I really never thought about it. I never thought, I never thought twice about missing the game. Um, I was always, I felt like if I could walk and if I would play at 60%, I was still better than, than anybody else out there. So I was at the man to the pain. So you didn't do, looking back, did you do anything to get on the field that you wouldn't do nowadays? Um, I would do it if I had to do it. I would do it the same way. Um, you know, I, I, I never approached uh, the game or looked back on my career with any regrets because uh, I learned a lot of life lessons that I apply to my life today through my playing career. Uh, so there's nothing that I would, I would change about that. Yeah. You're working with Tostitos today, and you've had a tr mm -hmm. you had a tremendous career transformation. What, why uh, why Tostitos? What's resonating with you? Well, first of all, I'm a big Tostitos fan. I love queso, <laughs> and, and all of my um, tailgates at home, Super Bowl parties, I'm always eating their chips and their dips and guacamole and salsa and all of that. So I'm here today to kick off the 2019 NFL draft. And I uh, partnered up with Tostitos to surprise an extremely lucky fan. Uh, we gave her two tickets, exclusive tickets, to watch the draft live and hang with me. And uh, she'll also be coming to uh, the Tostitos um, Cantina, uh, the celebration where she's going to meet players and fans. There's music. You can probably hear it in the background right now. And this is a really special time here in Nashville, Tennessee. We're just praying for the rain to hold off, that we get extra special. But even when it rains, God still blesses us with rain. So we want to make it happen and make a celebration out of it. Well, we all know that our Tostitos can go solo, but what's your number one <laughs> partner with your Tostito? Oh, you said my number one partner? Yeah. I mean, you go, are you a guac guy? Where are you going here? Oh, no, no, no. I'm a queso. Uh, uh, okay. white, white queso with the ground beef. The ground beef is sauteed in onions and peppers and a hint of paprika and garlic. And, uh, you know, i got to let the, the, the juices and seasonings marry together and I blend it with that cheese. Oh, and it's a meal all unto itself. You get the scoop of Tostitos and uh, that chip and with the beef. And it's a great marriage. It is, it is absolute heaven. In fact, I'm on a 
creative right now. I got to stand right in front of me. <laughs> you need a good chip to hold all that now. That's that's. A... Oh yeah, yeah. You know, the integrity of the chip of casinos is pretty sturdy. So I'm, you know, they do a good job of that. It doesn't snap in half like some off brand do. That's that. This is exactly right. We're going four star. <laughs> So t- tell tell me uh, how you connected with Derrick Henry. I know he's talked about how you helped him, you know, through his uh, little part of his early career here, getting him on track. Um, well, I've known Derrick since he won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Um, we spent a lot. We spent a lot of time together in New York. Um, me being a bigger back, um, he's reached out to me on, on a couple of occasions. Um, how I did it and so forth, and how my career was when I first began. Um, and when he got drafted by the Titans, you know, we've had a, we built a pretty good relationship. So he reached out to me, asked me about, you know, what I thought about his game. And I was really honest with him and uh, told him that he was running, you know, too soft uh, to be that big. And that he needed to impose his will, which was his great asset was the size. I mean, he can hit the home run with the speed, but being consistent in this league, you've got to impose your will on defenders. And um, I guess he took that, that, the conversation to heart did something about it because uh, one thing was for certain, you know, he wasn't going to be on this team for much longer producing the way that he was. So um, I'm glad that he's having the, the career that he's having right now. So you're talking about imposing your will it makes me think of you and Ray Lewis. What, what's your relationship with like Ray today? I mean, that was a phenomenal rivalry. Um, and Ray and I talk about that rivalry all the time. Um, you know, we spent some time, like the past couple of months, we've been coming, we've been coming to Nashville, we've been talking about ways to do things together, uh, different forums, different platforms, from um, um, hosting leadership uh, um, conferences together to podcasts about our experiences growing up and so forth. Because there's a, there's a powerful story between us because we go way back to 96 when we first got drafted, and uh, we were friends first before we became adversaries. And a much respected adversary, I have to say. And, um, you know, to this day, we'll sit back, sip some tequila, eat some Tostito chips, and <laughs> smoke a cigar, and talk about the good old days. So you weren't afraid of him on the field? Like, I feel like you'd be the only guy in the NFL that wasn't. Man, uh, in, the, in the league, you don't have time or room to be fearful of no man. Respect yeah. them. But the moment that you're afraid is the moment that you're done. Sniff it out. You can see it. So there was no room for me to be fearful. I was very conscious of his whereabouts. That to be clear, and I respected his game to the point where I had to know where he was. But fear can never enter to into the equation. Yep, I got it. What's what's your message to young men coming to the league right now who maybe are only thinking about football, maybe a little bit of money, maybe a little bit of social life, but. Obviously, the game is going to end for everyone. What, what, what do you want to tell these guys if they ask you? I would say, in short, you know, begin this journey with the end in mind. And that being, don't, don't put your eggs all in one basket. Diversify yourself in terms of different interests, um, different passions, different talents that you have. Um, continue to develop relationships in the offseason. And, and focus on another skill set that's transferable. Because football is not a transferable skill to the regular work life. And you, you've got to use this platform to build on that, because this is just the foundation. And you have, uh, you've got to use this foundation for a greater purpose 
and hopefully a better enterprise um, that can be more lucrative and more successful than your playing days. So, you know, you can't think of it in terms of this is the end-all, be-all. You have to begin the journey uh, with, the, with the end in mind. I would, I, would, I would say that to him. And nobody, though, would tie, hey, I'm going to be a, an actor on stage. I mean, somebody might dream about being in a movie, but you're a guy who actually studied and then you're on stage. I mean, that is a totally different skill set, at least from my vantage point. Would you agree? Well, um, actors are actors. It doesn't matter if it's on stage, in front of the camera, um, or television. It's, it's a medium where you tell the truth in imaginary circumstances. So, I mean, there's a different method or technique that you use for each one, but the bottom line is, is to being able to be vulnerable and tell the truth and what's required to push the story along um, so it resonates with people. So uh, the goal was to respect the craft of acting, but on, I wanted to do it on stage, uh, on television, and in movies, and I hope, hopefully I can continue to do so. You know, I, this is a profession that, if you're lucky enough, um, and blessed enough and good enough that you can do until you're 90 years old. And there's always a role for somebody. So um, that's what I choose to do. And I do it through, through theater. I've done it in my own writing. Uh, I've done it on television. And, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. Was, was this, uh, did you have this in your mind at all when you were playing? No. The only thing on my mind was making sure I knew a way Lewis lined up. <laughs> 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 and uh, no, nah, but seriously, um, I, I, I had a few businesses I was involved in, but acting was not um, on my horizon, and I didn't see it in my future. Because I was really in the moment. But once the moment of football ended for me, I began to do a deep self-exploration to see what it is I wanted to really do, what I could be good at, what could you know, drive revenue for myself. So um, I said, oh, I'm going to start at the very bottom of acting and learn that. And uh, see where it takes me because as an actor, you can do so many different things. You can do voice work, you can do uh, public speaking, you can um, act on stage, you can go on Broadway, you can um, just do so many different things. It's, it's such a diverse um, a business to be in. You're not just labeled as one thing. And there's revenue, there's recurring revenue opportunities within that. So I, I saw it from all different aspects. Yeah, I just have a lot of respect for your journey here because I think. You know, a lot of people, at least in like in media, right, you get to do it for a certain period of time, and then maybe you got to go figure yourself out again. Here you are, and to me, it sounds to me more like you wanted something to do rather than you just put it making money. Was it more, you know, just something that resonated with like what was going on inside of you than the, than the dollars? Or did Absolutely. You, yeah. Absolutely. It's, I believe if you follow the passion, you follow your dream, the money will follow. And your brand will be created. If you live life with integrity, your brand will be created. I don't try to seek to create a brand and do something that's not authentic. They say, hey, this is cool to do. This is going to help my brand to get more followers if I act on stage. If it's not true to me, it's not going to resonate. So um, I do it because I love it. Because I don't want to feel like I'm working. Um, and I believe that if I do it uh, to a high level and with enough passion and the right um, uh uh, training um, that the professionalism will come to fruition, and I'll get paid handsomely for that. Don't, don't be wrong. I want to make money in there. Of course. Not like, hey, I'm just going to do the gear for free because it's cool. Like, nah, hell with that. You know, <laughs> uh, I, there is a you know uh, monetary um, uh, prize that I want out of it, but but for the most part, it's done from from, uh, from my passion.
Do you get the same rush going on stage as you did going on the football field? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's the same feeling. I mean, waiting in the wings of a, well, of a stage before you go on is the same nerves that I get before I get out the, go out the tunnel. In some respects, it's worse because every night is different. The audience's energy is different. And you can feel that when you walk out. You know, they don't know what to expect. Hell, I don't know what to expect. And you have to be such in a... Uh, 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 just a, a focus in the zone that you can't get thrown off by anything. You've got to stay true to the story, trust your partner, trust what you're saying, and, and just let it go. And uh, there have been nights where this, this past production I did a top dog underdog, I completely forgot an entire page of dialogue. Oh, my. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. When you're trying to get undressed, put makeup on at the same time and talk, you know, that, that, that was so hard. That was so hard. That felt so bad that I left my cast made out there like that. But we worked through it. And you have those moments, and, and you, know, you learn to put the lines out there in the, in the theater. So it was, uh, it was really challenging. So that was the great Eddie George, who I am thrilled wants to have a deeper conversation with me down the line. Big time moments for On the Mark and the podcast as we continue on as I bring in my friend Ethan Blumenthal. Good to see you, sir. Always a pleasure, my friend. Now, we had the draft this week, and you are an NFL draft expert, not necessarily with the guys on the field, but off the field. See your future, be your future. Explain, please. Absolutely, yeah. I've taken a look at all of the draft picks from every different angle, just been sifting through information for really months now, and now that everything came out last night for the first round, I'd love to yeah, tell you a little bit about who I think is good and who I think might be a bust this year. So, right, I'm, I'm in the dark. The Mel Kuypers of the world, they act like they know, but I don't believe they actually do. You, on the other hand, I've got some confidence in, so what do you got? Well, do we want to start with with people I think are going to be bust or people that I like a lot? Well, let's go. Let's go with the. Let's start with the the bad, and then we'll go to the good. Okay, we'll yeah. start with the bad. So we're going to go going to go reverse order here. Okay, so number three on the bad list, I'm going with the number seven overall pick by the Jaguars, Josh Allen. That's my favorite guy in the draft. Well, see, that's why maybe we shouldn't do this podcast together. Why? Or maybe we should because we disagree on everything. Uh, well, no, it's, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a referendum on whether we should or shouldn't. Right here, I yeah. think. I mean, I I mean, I feel good about the podcast. Me but, too. But maybe you know deeper discussion. But I love Josh Allen. What what's what's bad? Well, here's the thing, right? I don't know if you're familiar, but Josh Allen was actually drafted last year, number seven overall, by the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, that's kind of messed up. And so that was Josh Allen QB. To this this year, it's Josh Allen by the Jaguars, who's a linebacker. Yeah. But here's the thing: you can't be a star in this league if. Whenever someone mentions your name, they have to clarify who you're talking about. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah. Tom Brady, no one has to be a Tom Brady. We're talking about the quarterback, not the linebacker, right? Josh Allen, it, it doesn't work that way. Plus, number seven, both years in a row, there's some sort of wish, witchcraft going on here, and I don't like it. ESPN's calling. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me put that phone on mute. Here's the thing. When I was prepping for this draft, and they're like, you got to check out Josh Allen, I was like, the dude that's already in the league 
am I, I thought I was losing my mind. Like maybe that never happened. Mm -hmm. So I did have to do research. I thought I was wrong. So you're, you are hitting on something that is a concern, but I mean, these guys are different. One plays offense, one plays defense, one's Caucasian, one's African-American, one seems like he's going to be a great player in the league. I'm talking about the guy this year out of Kentucky, the other guy in Buffalo, I'm not so sure about. Here's the other thing is that Josh Allen, Kentucky, it's a basketball school. No one's ever heard of Kentucky for football. What do they what do they do in football? They hang around and they wait for basketball season to start again. I don't I don't like it. I think he's going down in flames just like Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. I think they're going to talk in next year and we're going to say, "Wow, those are the worst two picks of the last couple of years." You know there's going to be a Josh Allen next year, right? Right, of course. And then he's going to be in the fold too and he's probably going to be a punter. You yeah, know, right, right. And this is not going to work out. Well, just 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 to name it, Josh Allen, my guy. You know, Kentucky football. You're right. No one's ever thought of it. But hey, under his watch, they went down to the swamp, beat Florida, huge win. Props up to my man, Josh Allen. Why don't we make a little sandwich bet here, okay? If Josh Allen is not, you think he's you think he's Pro Bowl worthy? Yes. At some point. Yeah. All right. So if Josh Allen is not a, not a Pro Bowler, okay, okay, in the next first three years, okay, is that fair? You and me a well, sandwich. Give me four years. Four years? That's a long time for a sandwich, I know. Oh, All right, it's a big sandwich then. Yeah, no, you can go jumbo size. Jumbo, jumbo size, with, okay. With, with the smoothie and the chip. You okay. want to get a soup, I'm in. All right, deal. So if he's not a pro bowler, I get a sandwich. If he is a pro bowler, I'm buying you a sandwich. The big one. Yeah. Let's, why don't we go to Manny's? You want to go Manny's? Yeah. I love Manny's. Let's do Manny's. All right. Shake on it. Shake Shaking. on it, sir. Okay. Corn beef. Yeah, absolutely. I like a corned beef and pastrami combination. Ooh, that's that's, the, that's, that's the way to go because the, the pastrami is really fattening, you know. Corned beef leans it out. Bit, get the best of both worlds. I feel like that's full death on a plate, but it's good stuff. But it is delicious. So, can I move on to number two now? Yeah, please. So, number two is uh, he was the drafted from Alabama, number three overall, I think, Quinnen Williams. Now, a lot of people think he's the best player in the draft. So, here's the thing about that, though. What they, <laughs> what those people are haven't seen, is his draft day attire. Look at that suit here. Look at that all gray suit with like a gray turtleneck buttoned all the way to the top. He looks like he is in a sci-fi movie, and he's like one of the first characters that dies in that sci-fi movie. You know, it's like at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and you see all the characters, you introduce to the characters, you're like, oh, they're wearing this weird, incredibly ugly gray suit. I wonder, and you're not sure who's who's going to be the, the main character that I need to pay attention to, and then boom, he dies right away, and you're like, well, it's definitely not that guy. He looks like he's going to be... Or should be either A, a priest, or B, a, a f maybe somebody that works at a funeral home. I don't know. Right. A funeral home. Now, yeah. is that the kind of guy you want to draft? Is that the guy, kind of guy you want on your team? Yeah, but he. But he, it's, you're right. He, I, you're, I mean, I, that's a hideous suit. He looks disgusting. If you are at home right now, I want you to quickly, you know, you guys all have smartphones right now. So look it up. Quinn and Williams draft day outfit. It is, it's hideous. It's straight out of a sci-fi movie, and I don't like it, and I think that's a bad sign for his future. Plus, he's going to New York. I mean, you can't be walking down the streets of Manhattan wearing that thing. Right. And I think it's, we can assume that that's the only thing that he owns. That's what I'm assuming. It's, I think that's a fair assumption. Thank you. It's, Thank you. I mean, it's, if you had a closet full of good stuff, why would you put that on? Exactly. How do you make that decision? What I want to know is, right, if I could go back to any point in time, it would be to the time when, when him and his family were sitting around at the suit store men's warehouse picking out a suit. And I want to go back in time to that moment where someone in his family was like, yep, that's the one. And then he walked out on that. You know what I mean? That's, that's it's true. That family member should be dis, dis family membered. Right. 
And Does that make sense? Yes. And he or she, they're probably looking for a something. They're probably looking for. You all right there? I'm you totally got some good. Mark's getting some important totally text going totally on. Totally you know? That's why I'm just trying to figure out how to silence my phone. It's, it's the thing. When it's 2019. You know, yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be that hard. I know. But... 45 years old. You would think that I would have this. Uh, Mastered, but I don't apparently. Was well, a millennial. If you need any help with that sort of thing, I'm happy to help you. Out. I, 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 that's another reason why we got to do this podcast for my phone issues. I appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Any okay. computer, I'm all I'm all day yeah, here I, for you. I, I do like your computer. It's very it's it's it's, it's you, well, you touch know how to use. You seen this? No, it's big. It's big time. Acer. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like a good computer, but apparently it's a great computer. That's the best. See, I, I, I stick with the, you know, I got to get an Apple because that's what everybody uses. But mm-hmm. then I don't really know how to use it, and then mm-hmm. it breaks, and you got this thing that probably costs half as much and it's better. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I am better than you are. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's the theme that we're getting at yeah. here. Who's your number one? Number one, this is kind of out of left field here, Josh Rosen. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, wasn't Josh Rosen drafted last year by the Cardinals? And he was. And that's how much I didn't like, don't like that pick because he, Kyler Murray, another quarterback drafted this year. Josh Rosen, first thing he did last night, unfollowed the Arizona Cardinals on Twitter and Instagram. Oof. That's the, the diss of all disses. So, I mean, I, are you a salty guy? Because I got to tell you, if I was Josh Rosen, you know what I would do actually? As sad as and pathetic as I am, I'd sit there and take it. I'd be like, oh yeah, well you know they, uh, I I'm just ready to compete with Kyler and I'm still a team guy, uh, and I would do all that because I want to. I wouldn't want to be the bad guy, but at least Rosen is willing to go and be the bad guy. Unfollow. I'm out of here. Send me wherever you want to send me. I'm not playing for you. This is bullshit. You're drafting Kyler Murray. I've been here for five seconds, and you surrounded me with absolute garbage last year. Didn't have anyone to throw to. Didn't have anyone protecting me. I mean, he's got legit beef. I agree. He's, he got a raw deal. And I will just say, if Josh Rosen, Rosen is listening to this podcast right now, right now, he unfollowed the Cardinals on Twitter, which means he's got some room to follow another person. I'm just saying, shoot me a follow, Josh. Right, I'm down too at the car. At and he can pass. That's a that's a reference. You get that reference? And what? And he can pass. And he can pass. It's gonna be. A, I, maybe I should have picked a better Twitter handle when uh, back in the day when I was deciding. And he can pass. It's a reference to Friday Night Lights. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, never so saw you, it. You never seen the movie or the TV show? Both. Oh my god. I know it's terrible. God. All right. Well, well and and Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm going to send you a list of I'm things on, you got to watch before I'm, our next episode. I'm on season one of Game of Thrones. I don't know if I'm going to make it. it. It's a it's a commitment. It's a mission. You shouldn't be here right now. You should be in. The, you should be back there wherever watching watching Game of Thrones. Who's your, fa- who's your favorite character? Well, I can't even spoil. I don't know how you. Maybe it's a character that hasn't even been introduced to you yet. I don't want to do that. There's new characters that are coming. Oh, there's new characters every every day of the week. Sansa, Daenerys. Those are, yeah, interesting pronunciations of those names, <laughs> but yeah, you know. What about, uh, uh, what's the, what's the Hodor? Hador? Hodor. Hodor. He's all-time. Yeah. He's an all-timer? Okay. He's an all-timer, for uh, sure. All right, who did things right on draft night? Can we get to the positive? Yeah, thing? let's go positive. We start with negative, we'll go positive. So, number three, I'm going with the number 21 overall pick by the Packers, safety, Darnell Savage. Anytime you got the last name Savage or anything like that, how can you be a bad football player when your last name is Savage? Savage is legit. There's no question. And can you think of a better football name? Probably not. No. I mean, Buttkiss was a great name. That is. That's. That's a good. That's a great name. That's a little more humorous though. Savage is just. 
I mean, no, he's the savage. He's, 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 he's savage. I'm going to throw this at you and see how your Chicago sports are doing. Tyrone Slaughter, does that name mean anything to you? Tyrone Slaughter played for the... Uh, Tyrone Slaughter played for that football team that was out... No? No. Okay. But I appreciate the effort and the guessing, the random guessing there. There was a team that played out in like Hoffman Estates. I swear to God, there was a Tyrone Slaughter on that team. Or maybe it was the Slaughters, but who are you going? DePaul Blue Demon, Tyrone Slaughter? Tyrone Slaughter was or isn't. He might have gotten suspended, so I don't know how in good graces he is right now. But he is the head basketball coach of the Whitney Young Dolphins, one of the best high school teams in the country. You don't know Whitney Young? Of course I know okay. Whitney Young, but that's not, you know. I know, but I'm just saying, Tyrone Slaughter, I th- when I saw Darnell Savage, I said to myself, that name sounds like Tyrone Slaughter to me, and if I was playing for a basketball coach named Tyrone Slaughter, you'd play hard. I think I'd play hard. Yeah. No, they, they've had a lot of success with Whitney Young. ton of good Dolphins out there. Quentin Richardson, Q back in the day. Mm-hmm. Anybody? Just throwing names out there. Want to show my knowledge. And I appreciate that I like and the respect, dog. yeah. Yeah. All right, who's number two? Number two, we're going to go with Devin Bush, number 10 pick by the Steelers. Out of Michigan? Out of Michigan. I don't like Michigan, but I'm going to move past that for this guy because did you see his draft day outfit? Yeah. So he was wearing like a black with suit white with a white, it looked like a white stitch guitar kind of yeah. on this thing. Now, hear me out. It's ridiculous, right? Super ridiculous. But he kind of also looks like he was from a sci-fi movie, and the movie itself wasn't good, but he was the main character, and he was a badass in it. And so it's kind of worth watching the movie just because it's like, okay, that movie sucks, but that dude, Devin Bush, man, he was wearing that crazy outfit, and he was kind of badass in that movie. And that's the reason. You know, it's like, is Taken a good movie? It's okay, but Liam Neeson, badass. Super cool. Love it. I will say, watching him walk up, I'm like, what in the world are you wearing? So yeah. he got my attention. Yeah. And that was a big-time move by the Steelers to trade up from 22-10 to get that pick, and maybe it was because of what he's wearing. It was absolutely because of what he's wearing. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of the ridiculousness of Ezekiel Elliott's outfit a few years ago when he wore that crop top. That was, I, 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 was he wearing shorts, too? I feel like he, I think he maybe wasn't. Was another time. I, think, I think Trey... Young. Trey Young wore a short suit okay. in last year's NBA draft. And I also like that. I appreciate that game, which is why Trey Young's obviously had a good rookie year. It's all coming back. It's all full circle. Well, you, you show confidence with the with the dress, Ethan, and then, you know, it, I get it. Plays on the court, plays on the field. Who's Absolutely. number one? Number one, obvious. Anyone's seen a picture of this guy. It's number two overall pick by the 49ers, Nick Bosa. He is just a better-looking version of his older brother, Joey Bosa. Have you seen a picture of Nick Bosa? I remember Nick coming across. He's the best-looking guy I've ever seen. If Brad Pitt and George Clooney were able to procreate and have a child, it would look like Nick Bosa. Bosa. That might have been how it happened. That might be why he looks so good. Clooney banged Pitt, Mm -hmm. and out came Bosa. Yes. Who gave birth? It was witchcraft. I don't know. I think it's Clooney. You think it's Clooney? I think Clooney's got that level of talent. Pitt's too pretty. He couldn't go through the, the birthing process. Clooney, on the other hand, I think he could get in there and somehow just come out the other end. Well, I think that maybe if they ever do make like an Ocean's 14, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, I think maybe we'll find the answer to that movie. Because they're, they're going to have to take it up a new notch. You can't just rob another casino. you yeah. got to take it up. Someone's giving birth to somebody. <laughs> it's true. So we'll have to see. I'll pitch that. If you know anyone at Warner Brothers... 
tell them, give me their info, and I'll pitch that. Right. I mean, maybe they would go like surrogate situation, but I don't. Those guys are so at the next level that maybe one of them could give birth. Right. They're I mean, they're committed actors. Right. People like to lose a lot of weight for roles. They gain a lot of weight for roles. They get ripped for roles, so they can get pregnant for a role. Like, What's the big deal? One time. One time. It's Just, a one time in your career. That's a career moment. And there's no way you can't tell me that whoever is the one that gives birth in that scenario. <laughs> Gets an Oscar. I mean, they're winning the Oscar. No question. And they've elevated themselves over every actor in the history of acting at the same time. Kind of big. Absolutely. Ethan, thanks for stopping by, man. <laughs> Listen, uh, it's always a pleasure, and I'm glad. And I just I want everyone, we'll come back here a year from now. We'll see how my picks are doing, and hopefully I get that sandwich from you. Yeah, back at you. I'm, I'm looking forward to that Manny's trip. That's yeah. A, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big time. you got to get the applesauce and, and the potato pancake. Absolutely. It's maybe, no doubter. Maybe that, uh, I like that icy apple uh, dessert product like that I can't think of. It's like an apple slice, basically. You're making me hungry, man. We should just go right now. Yeah, we, uh, let's head on out. Right. Hey, appreciate you checking out On the Mark. My main man, Ethan Blumenthal, with the draft analysis. Mm -hmm. Big time. Always a pleasure. Before we wrap up today, I want to get back to the NBA, and I had a chance to sit down with one of my favorite people, B.J. Armstrong, three-time NBA champion with the Chicago Bulls, now the agent for Derrick Rose. There was a recent documentary that people should check out, watchstadium.com, Pooh, the Derrick Rose story. Derrick uh, is a guy that I've always rooted for, rising himself up out of the toughest parts of Chicago to be the youngest MVP in the history of the league. We talked with Tibbs about it uh, on the previous podcast, now to bringing in BJ to speak on that, who was a producer on this film. BJ Armstrong, you're a pretty talented guy these days. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Uh, it's pretty funny to hear all those things. I'm, uh, you know, uh, in my house, I'm just bad. <laughs> <laughs> So this story is is pretty near and dear to my heart. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was out at the Birdo Center when they brought in Derek and they brought in Michael Beasley, and this is not to take a shot at Michael Beasley, but when both those guys were interviewed and presented them to the media, I'm like, the pick is Derek Rose all day long. And not even from a basketball sense, I was just impressed with Derek that day, and I didn't know him at all, really, other than you know the basketball before that, and so I've always just rooted for him, and I've I've seen reporters in the city go at him pretty hard, which I thought was unfair, and now he's telling his story, and I guess my my first question is, how did you sort of gain his trust and get in the inner circle where you guys could partner like you have? Well, you know, as you know, it's been well documented. Derek is a very private person, and from the moment we met. You know, for for whatever reason, he had an understanding of the difference between Derek the player and Derek the person, and he was he's always been able to compartmentalize both and know that one really doesn't affect the other. Derek Rose the person is very comfortable with who he is, his circle of friends, his family. Um, he just has a very like quiet confidence about Derrick Rose, the person. Then there's, 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 there's D Rose that we all came to see play and perform and ascend to this level of MVP and all of those things. And he was always able to 
divide up the two. But when he got hurt, I just thought it would be good for him to be able to you know, express himself, but more importantly, be able to see himself because something was happening that, you know, he, he, he had to work through that. He had to work through all of the things that he had, that he needed to work through. There was no right or wrong. There was no right way to do it. There was no timeline. And um, he just thought that this was something he wanted to do for all of the people that have meant so much to him because he wanted he wanted all his, you know, people that have believed in him since the beginning to be able to see behind the curtains. And he just said, I want to be authentic to, the, to those fans. I want to be authentic to my family. I want to be authentic to my friends because I just think it's something that they should see because, you know, the only thing that they'll know is what's being reported. And he never said anything, you know, none of us said anything about it. And um, so it was, I have to give him credit. That was kind of his idea. I thought it would be good for him to be able to express himself as he's going through this, knowing how tedious and difficult the, the, the rehab is going to go. But in the end, you have to give Derek the credit. Derek, said he wanted to do it. He wanted to, and he said if he was gonna do it, he was gonna have an authentic story where it wasn't a puff piece. He was gonna tell the story in his own words and that's what he set out to do and and um, I thought it came out as an amazing project that he was able to do because of his commitment to the project and and uh, so he deserves all the credit. Yeah, check it out on stadium Everybody, I think, knows this by now, but I'll just say it again. Uh, the piece is Pooh, tells his story. And then you got a book coming, too, with uh, which uh, Sam Smith, you helped write You got, uh, helped write it. I'll, I'll Show You is the title, and that's, that's coming out in a couple months. But a couple things you just said there, BJ. Number one, there was no right or wrong. But like in, in Chicago's mind, there was a lot of right or wrong. He should be back on the court. He should be playing. And it really bothered me because, A, you don't know what's going on in his body, and, B, I just looked at it like he was trying to do right by himself. And also, at the same time, if he's healthy, long-term, he's doing right by the team. So it had to be, I would think, hard for just to sit there and take all that, and you guys were very quiet at the time. Well, it it was. And, again... The what was being said on the outside wasn't what was happening. You know, you know Jerry Reinsdorf on down was very supportive of him from the moment he got hurt. And you know, it's kind of as we reflect back on it now. You look at players. Most players now who come back, they take two or more years to come back, and that's kind of the norm now. <laughs> okay, right. You know, you look at this kid for Vegas. You. You look at the players who sustain these injuries, okay? When I was playing, if you had an ACL injury, you know, 25, 30 years ago, that meant maybe your career was over with. Yep. Um, now, you know, players are taking two or more years because everyone understands, you know, not only you're coming back physically, but mentally, psychologically. There's so much that's going back, going into this, and now – when you look at it now, you go, wait, did they really expect him to come back in a year and play, like, in the playoffs? Like, who said that? <laughs> like, like, what doctor is going to say, you know, you, you, you can play? You, because everyone understands who sustained an injury, a significant injury like this, 
that it's more to, than just running up and down the court. It's more than just being physically clear. There's a lot of hurdles to clear before you have the comfort to go out there and compete and be able to contribute because, you know, you're laying everything out there in the line for all of those guys that are counting on you, the, the team and all of the things. So I just think in looking back on it, I think we all had time to reflect to see, you know what, maybe something got lost in translation or something got lost, but, you know, I, I think we know more about it now. I think science and, and how those injuries and, and what athletes need, anyone, I mean, anyone's just saying that injury, you know, you need time. You need time to work and process what happened. And more importantly, you got to feel comfortable because, you know, when you're competing at such a high level, there's no room for error. There's no room for hesitation. So I think people who sustained that injury all understood that, but I think it was something new for the first time that was kind of thrown out in the media. And maybe, maybe everyone just got a little ahead of themselves and then it took on a story that certainly, you know, I, I don't know if it was, I don't know really what to do when it wasn't anything that was being said internally that we were aware of and certainly we weren't saying. Was he asking you at the time, what do you think I should do? No, he, because it, the only thing you should do is listen to your body. Yeah. Um, look, the kid worked tirelessly to come back. I mean, it, it wasn't a matter of effort and energy put forth not coming back. It was just his body wasn't responding. And if there's one thing that, you know, you know about Derek, his patience is not one of the things that's like, you know, it's high on the list. I mean, the kid puts in the work and he's a, you know, he, he's a results, you know, he, he focuses on the results. He focuses in on the task and it wasn't, he was working, but his body just wasn't responding. So it wasn't anything like BJ, what do you think I should do? No, it was like, Derek, let's listen to your body. Your body will tell you when it's ready. Now, you got to listen to it. You just can't push through something like this because, you know, this is something you have to listen to and be 100% sure that you have no second doubts on what's going on here. I couldn't tell you. The doctors couldn't tell you. The trainers couldn't tell you. This was one where Derrick Rose will know when he's ready to play. And all we could be there was to support him and – Physically, we could see everything that he was doing. It wasn't a lack of work. It wasn't a lack of him putting in the hours that were necessary. Um, it was just a matter of him feeling comfortable with saying, okay, I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to put my body through that test. You know, working out on a treadmill is different than playing in a game. So he had to work through that, and um, he knew then and he knows now that supporting him because no one's going to know an athlete's body better than, than the athlete himself or herself. And you have to listen to your body when it's telling you. And um, so, you know what, he had to stay strong and, and listening to his body, which is sometimes it's difficult because there is an instinct as an athlete to just push through things. But with an injury like this, that's something you really have to listen to. You can't just push through an ACL injury. Watch the film, Pooh. Watchstadium.com. It's just a phenomenal job by everyone involved. I want to ask you about, uh, BJ, one, one, one comment that really stood out at me 
Vincent Goodwill, who covered the Bulls during that time, from Detroit, and he said the segregation of Chicago met at Derrick Rose. And I felt that at the time, that there was a lot of support coming from the neighborhood, and there was a lot of judgment coming from some more elite areas. At least that's how I felt. I'm curious if you felt the same thing. Well, no, I don't, I don't think we felt that. I think what we, the one thing that, that Derek always wanted to do, and I've always encouraged him um, from my years of my years or my former years as a, as a, as a former player, actually, Derek, you have to be authentic in who you are because the, the camera will pick that up, people around you will pick that up, and the kids, will pick that up. And I've always encouraged them to be authentic because that's very, very important. Um, as you're going through this process, you know, people, you know, who you are when the camera's on, you have to be that same person when the camera's off. And um, so I think Derek was just very, being very authentic to who Derek is. And I think that's why this was so, so powerful for him to do it is because you got a chance to see the Derrick Rose that you saw during the games, and then he allowed you to see that the Derrick Rose that you saw during the games, this is who he is when the camera's not not on. And to me, that was the most powerful thing, is that sometimes you think you know people because you, you see them on television, or you might see them in an interview, you might hear them on a radio or a podcast or what have you, but I think this is the first time that that I can recall that you'll see things that happen in real time. And you'll get a chance not to only see, you know, these heroes, these figures that we admire from afar, but you get a chance to see them as human beings. And I think that was what makes Derek a, such a, a unique individual is that Derek was the person he. He, he, under, he understood that from day one. He's always understood. I have no idea where he learned it from. And um, so he's never felt that way. But I think in today, with all of the social media platforms and all of things, you just, it's, it's clouded the area between is, is, is this real on Instagram or is this yeah. are people just doing this for the camera? And I think Derek is just very clear. Well, this is who I am. I'm not judging you. I'm not asking anything from you, but this is who I am. <laughs> and, and I think that's in today's, it's kind of a refreshing to see that, you know, a young man who's achieved what he's achieved, he's just there. And that's all he wanted to be. He didn't want to be a superstar. He, he could care less about being anything other than he just wants to be authentic to himself and his family. And his only goal was to win a championship in the city of Chicago. That's all he's ever wanted. He's never talking about anything else. And, um, you know, he's kept his goal, you know, very simple. And today, he just wants to win games. And he just wants to play and participate and, and contribute to a winning team and in a winning environment. It's one of the reasons why I always appreciate him, because if you would talk to him after a game, like you would talk to you know a, a million different guys after a game, Derek was always just raw. It was it was super mm-hmm. honest. Right. 
And you, that was that's not normal. He was just himself. He, he wasn't trying to think of the perfect thing to say. He was just being himself. I, I appreciated that. Um, all right. So would you would you say that? Well, here let, let's go back to the trade to the Knicks because I think what you're just talking about there, BJ, is was the most raw moment of the film. And you, and you're calling him up. You've you've talking to, to you've talked to Phil. He's going to New York. When you watched that back and you saw that here's the guy, there's the heart, it's all over his sleeve, he's crying, he's emotional because he doesn't want to leave Chicago. I mean, that, that moved, I think, basically everyone. What, what was your thought, like, look at, when you saw it actually, you know, produced and here you are on the phone, the whole thing, I mean, that was, that was a big-time moment uh, in the film. Well, it, it was very powerful. Um, you know, when I see it now, because, you know, when you're in it, it wasn't like you're acting, you know, you, you go to the movies and you'll see like a great actor and you'll go, wow, you know, that, they're acting. That, you know, you're part of something. And I, and I remember that. I remember how difficult it was to be able to call him because I wasn't calling the player. I was calling the person. Yeah. And I know, and I knew then what, the city of Chicago meant to him. You know, this kid, this wasn't like a kid who was like, well, I'm just playing basketball. No, this kid grew up into the city. He had one goal in mind, and he didn't not only like playing in Chicago, he loved it. Like, his heart and soul was there, okay? And it will always be there, because that's where he's from. Like, this is like, that's, you know, and I knew how difficult that was going to be for, for the person. The business part of it, I knew he was going to get immediately. But the person, right? Because if the person isn't addressed, then the player can never reach his or her potential. So the, difficult, the difficulty of making that call was just trying to separate the emotion because I didn't really know what to say other than I just had to give him the facts of what just happened there and allow him the space that he needed. Um, and you can see how powerful it was. I mean, I, 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 I didn't know what to feel because, I, I, you know, you just know how hard he had worked and you knew what he really wanted. And I just knew, you know, everything that he wanted and it just wasn't happening for him. And uh, so it was just a very, very difficult. It's still difficult for me to watch now, to be honest with you. Because it, it, it just meant so much to him. It was just uh, it was a very powerful moment. And when I first saw it, I was just shocked that he allowed the camera to continue to do it. And that's why I give Derek the credit is because, you know, you saw Derek at a very difficult time. And he... Um, he committed himself to, you know, he gave his word that this is what he was going to do no matter what happened. And obviously we didn't know what was going to happen when we started this. And that was just a very powerful moment for him to continue, allow that to be seen and move on and talk about it as it happened. I mean, this was like, that's just how it happened. It wasn't like something that could have reenacted that's exactly what had happened. So um, it was a very powerful moment, but it's very difficult for me to watch it. Um, 
And the first couple of times, I actually had to walk out. I just couldn't, I just couldn't see it because I, I, I know, I know the person, and um, and that, that was a very difficult time for all of us at that particular time. Yeah, it was interesting to me because you come across as, you know, we're we're moving forward right now, business. Let's go. We're going to New York. Let's see the positive of this. You're going to the Mecca. But, you know, you, you weren't, like, allowing yourself to even I go into the emotion of the moment because it, it might have been even more if you were there with him. Like, you were just trying to get him to, to uh, it seemed to me at least, like you were just trying to get him to see the positive in it, and it was just super hard for him. Well, it, 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 it was. And, you know, the, the, the thing is, is when you when you end this business, you know, the, you know, I always encourage all of the young people is that it's, it's, it's business. It's never personal. It's never personal. It's business. And I understood how the player was going to feel. I've been traded before as a player. I understood that. I, I know that feeling. I understood that. Um, but I also under, understood as well that, you know, you got to keep it moving. You have to keep it moving. And, and as that person, that agent at that time that was making that call, it was very important for me to understand that he was going to get emotional and that I was going to have to be patient with him and encourage him to keep it moving. Up. You got to move forward. You have to keep moving. And uh, we're all dope things in life. And, um, and you, I think you understand that with time. You understand that with age, that, you know, life goes on with or without you. And, um, but I, I was, I really didn't know what to say to him other than to just be principled in that moment to say, you know, it, we have to keep moving regardless. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel the way you feel. It's okay to have all those emotions, but we have to continue to move forward. And we have to continue to move and not get caught into the negative emotions of what this could be or how you were feeling at the time. So um, it, it's always difficult, especially the first time you're traded. It's always very difficult. But I, I thought Derek did a terrific job of, of, you know what, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. And you do what you got to do and you move forward and – Somehow, during that time, he gathered himself. He was able to do it, and um, and you know he kept pushing forward. and And here we are, some years later, able to reflect on it and see it. And that's where he was at then, and this is where he's at now. And, and he's continuing to keep it moving. You just keep moving, and yep. you, you keep you keep showing up, and you keep pushing through, and. Uh, and uh, I think so that's what makes him such a special person is he continues to, no matter how many times he falls down, I never worry if he's going to get back up. And uh, he just keeps pushing all the way. And, um, you know, he just, you know, he's really mentally tough that way. I appreciate the conversation. I got two more for you. Uh, and I, I want to get to Cleveland and him being in a – a college gym working and wondering if he's going to get another opportunity. But I'm just curious, did you share with him? Because it had to have been hard for you. 
Uh, you know, you're playing, you're good friends with Michael, he comes back, and then you get pushed out of Chicago. And you know that they're on the verge of, you know, more titles are coming. I mean, that had to be brutal. But then, same thing, what you're talking about, I got to move forward here. I'm going to Golden State, I'm going to Charlotte, I'm, gonna, I'm having an NBA career, I got I to gotta take care of myself. But that could not have been easy for you at that time. No, I mean, like I said, I, I, I was uh, I was left in the expansion draft that year. Michael was coming back. Um, of course, I mean, I was aware that anytime you play with Michael, you, you have an opportunity to win championships. And but I couldn't allow myself to to sink and pout and have those negative feelings and emotions and asking why. You know, you got to keep moving. So. Um, that's the life. That's the that's the life of a professional athlete. I mean, every athlete will experience that at some moment and some time. So, um, you know, you have to keep it moving. That's you just have to. There's a level of professionalism that it's needed to really perform up here and perform at the highest level. So, um, I we've all experienced it. It's it, 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 it's it's going to come for everyone at some moment, and you have to be prepared for it. And because uh, if you're not prepared for that moment, it, it can really take you into a a place that you you don't really want to go because you're you'll be stuck. You have to keep it moving. You know, you, nothing remains the same. You you got to go forward or you're going to go back. So um, we've made a conscious choice. I've made a conscious choice to always keep it moving and move forward. And uh, you just you just roll with the punches. Did you think that there was a chance that he wasn't going to be back in the league after what transpired in Cleveland and being released, and or Utah releasing him and just being out there for I don't I forget how long it was, a couple weeks before Tom and Minnesota stepped in. No, I, I you know there, there's two things. There's two things in this league I, I, I say are constant, no matter what's going on. I don't care what era you're in. Since 1946, there's two constants in this league that will remain, even though the game has changed, right? The game is played today than it was 20 years ago, which was played different in the 80s, which was played different. So, yes, the game will change. Yes, the game will have new exciting emphasis that they'll put on it. Now it's a three-point shot. But there's two things that will never change: talent and toughness. Mm-hmm. That will always; those will always be the two constants. Okay, Derrick Rose is not short on talent. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that, that's not his issue. That was, that's not our issue today. He's no, not it's not short on talent. Okay, and Derrick Rose is not short on toughness. Okay, so. It was just a matter of Derek finding peace within what he had to become. And when I say what he had to become, everyone's game evolves with age. Okay? When, since we were in Chicago, Michael Jordan, he came in the league in 1984, 1985. You saw this young, athletic kid that was running, jumping, dunking, and doing all those things. In 1996, seven, and eight, you saw a guy who was very skilled, very technical, shooting fadeaway jump shots. They both averaged around 32 to 35 points a game, 
but their game, his game had evolved where he was, he was, he, he just was able to fine tune his skill level to where his body was at. Derrick Rose had to make adjustments in how he thought, even though he could physically do the same things that he was doing before, but he had to make adjustments because his body was responding different than it was prior to the injury. So for him, it was just a matter of fine-tuning the way he thought about the game, the way he played the game physically, and coming up with this balance for him that he's comfortable playing in, in his little, in his space. Physically, he still has the same explosiveness. He can still finish around the basket. He can still dunk and do all of those things. But now, the beautiful thing about him now is you're seeing him shoot three-pointers, which he never had to, he never did before. Now he's shooting threes. Now he's playing slower because he wants to, you know, he wants to use burst of speeds when he has to use burst of speeds as compared to when you saw him earlier, he was just running past everybody. So his game is evolving, and now for him, it's just finding this balance. And once the injury occurred, he's had to find the balance sooner rather than later because normally that happens when you're like 30, 31 years of age. But for him, it happened much sooner, and it was just a, an adjustment that he had to make. It wasn't one that he gradually made throughout the years. And uh, so I think it's been, you know, a process for him, as it should be for anyone. And uh, I think he's found that balance in him now where he, he understands what he can and can't do. I think he's, found, he's not relying as much on his athleticism because he, he has another gear that not many can get to. And then from time to time, you'll see him have a 50-point game for no reason at all. <laughs> You're going you go, wow, how, where did this come from? You know, so it's, it's just finding that balance for him because it's, it's all there. But again, you know, for him, you know, he's had to fine-tune it to get back there to where he can do it now on a consistent basis and do it throughout the course of an 82-game schedule. Do you want him, and do you think that uh, he will find his way back to Chicago at some point? Well, you know, Derek is Chicago. Derek carries Chicago in his heart no matter what he does. So, you know, that's, that will never, you know, that, well, that won't go anywhere. You know, Derek can be anywhere in the world, and I guarantee you he's going to defend the city of Chicago, <laughs> and he will let you know that he is Chicago. Right? That will never change. You know, the business of it, I, I mean, look, we don't know, but it's our job to listen and to be professional and understand and do what you have to do in the profession, right? He just wants to find the perfect fit or the best fit he can for him and what he brings. And, um, you know, uh, he just wants to be a part of a situation where, you know, he's gonna, he wants to contribute to a winning team. He wants to contribute to winning basketball. He wants to contribute to the team that, you know what, they may not win every game, but you're certainly going to give your best effort and you're going to try. And that's all you can ask for in this league is you, you, you line up with guys who give the same effort to go about their business knowing that this is a tough league and uh, you win some, you lose some. But at the same time, you know what, you got to have the courage to go out there every single night and fight. Um, so, you know, I don't know how this plays out. 
Um, certainly Chicago, like I would imagine if that was the right fit and the, the Bulls were to call, I would imagine that would be a very exciting thing if that were to happen. But again, you know, you got to be professional and you got to look for the best place for you and knowing where you're at and what you're trying to achieve and, and making sure everyone's on the same page, right? You know, obviously that young kid who was 19 years of age back then, it's not the same kid. This is a different kid now, right? And um, But you know what? We don't know how it's going to play itself out, but certainly you can dream. And uh, he has very fond memories, of course, you know, I, I love the city of Chicago. I grew up there most of my adult life. And uh, it certainly would make it a, a very interesting interesting story, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> if that were to happen. I would want it. I would be scared of it. Part of me wants to go play for somebody who's ready to win a title right now and be a, you know. Uh, but what we shall see, as, as they say. Uh, BJ, yeah. appreciate the time. Film's awesome, and uh, I always enjoy the conversation with you. So, so thanks for taking as much time as you did today, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you down the line here. Great, thank you so much, and uh, really thank you for taking the time and all the people who had a chance to view it. And uh, you know, thank you so much. It, it, was, it was a it was a project that meant a lot to Derek and meant to, to all of us. And thanks for time for taking the to see the, the documentary, and I uh, really appreciate you having me on. Hope you enjoy the conversation with BJ. Let's wrap up today. Jasmine, I'm bringing you back in here. Good to see you. Thanks Good for hanging out. Yeah. So I want to talk about a solution for the game of baseball and extra innings. Let's hear it. Do you enjoy extra innings? No. Do you, you don't appreciate that it could end at any moment. It's the 11th, it's the 12th, it's four hours, it's five hours. I think if I was at the game personally, I would because it's like it's an experience to be at one of those types of games. But if I'm watching it on TV and it's like a 6.20 start and the game doesn't end until 10 and I'm trying to go to bed, like just get the game over with. I'm over it. Like someone needs to win, especially if my team's winning and they lose the game after 15 innings, I'm pissed. Right. So I'm watching yesterday. The, mm-hmm. the, the Cubs game with Arizona started at 3 o'clock. The second place Cubs, yes. This, that's for now. Two Correct. and a half games behind Correct. my St. Louis Cardinals. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're wearing your Cardinals hat. I, I, I got it. So it's, it's 7 o'clock. Is that it's, time it started? It started at 3. Oh, it, my God. It's 8 o'clock. It's 8.30. They're still rolling. It's the 15th inning. Yeah. They're bringing in a reliever who's pitching for the third straight day. The Cubs are missing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. It's a ton of drama. Yeah. Yeah, but so it was like bases loaded in the 14th. and just the, the, the Right, but the way baseball is now, you go to the bullpen in the 6th and the 7th. Mm-hmm. These guys are used every day. It's just it's, it's, it puts a ton of pressure on a team when you have a long game, win it and or lose it. Now you got to come back the next day. These guys got to throw again. Dudes are going to get hurt. It's just – it's not. It's not in the best interest of the game right now. You got all, all these guys are making a ton of dough, huge investments. So baseball in the minor leagues in the tenth inning, they're putting a runner on second base. I love it, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. And people are like, no, 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 the tradition. 
Listen, the tradition in hockey wasn't to play three-on-three in OT. The the tradition in tennis was not to have a Mm tiebreaker. You'd play, you know, they'd have Wimbledon sets. They still do the fifth set. But it would would 13-11, 14-12, 19-17. These guys are playing six hours on the court. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's too... Tennis has changed. Everybody plays from the baseline. It's not a serve and volley game anymore. They, it, you're asking too much of the athletes, and it's the same thing in baseball. When you're going to the bullpen every single day, you're and it, it's just too much. And it's also it gets boring. Baseball's we're trying to shorten the game, looking for some excitement. Oh, sweet! The tenth inning, runner on second. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. Maybe he he comes around to score. Okay, great. I still got a great chance in the bottom half. I love it. I would do one addendum. Okay. Give me play the tenth inning normal. Give me one extra inning normal baseball. Mm-hmm. The eleventh inning. That's that's when we got to cut it, team. No. You you just want to write in the tenth. No. I first of all, I think baseball is too long to begin with. It should be seven innings. That's just how I feel. It's going after like. When you have the seventh inning stretch, that's like the time to leave. That's when you should leave a game. Then you have two more innings, and then it's just like, okay, what do like in the last two innings? Unless it's a close game, super freaking boring. I'm over it. Like I'm good for seven hours of a baseball game. After that, like I'm like I have other things to you're, do. You're good for two hours. I'm good for two hours, which yeah. is the length of a basketball game, which is why I'm a basketball fan. So anything longer than that, and there haven't luckily for me. The Cardinals haven't been in a lot of extra inning games this season or in previous, so I haven't had to suffer through a lot of 15-inning games recently, but I would have just turned off the TV. If I called you straight millennial, would that be fair? I mean, I am, so. Yeah, okay. Just that's, make it that's, as long as you're not using it as in a negative sense, it's fine. No, no, it's, 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 it's both positive and negative, just like my old middle-aged, whatever you want to call me, Generation X, or we've got our pluses, we've got our minuses, as yes, does do. any group that we want to all collectively throw together. But I love millennials. I think millennials get a bad rap. I think they work incredibly hard. I think you I, say that because you're working with a bunch of millennials. No, nah, no, it's, <laughs> I, well, maybe so, but I, but I do think there's just like, look, there's more put on young people now nowadays than there ever has been you're three years old get out there and and get in a group with coaches and you will play the same sport every single day and by the way when you're done with that you are going to come home and you're going to study your ass off like what was I doing as a three-year-old I wasn't on any organized teams I wasn't studying I was hanging out we were in the park yeah. I mean it just... I mean so was I but I also I feel like my <laughs> three-year-olds aren't you know whatever um but I get what you're saying but I think that you need to have a jersey and a uniform and three coaches. We're going to send you into privates. I think that's the generation now. And I think people lump in like the people who are growing up now as millennials and they're not. Please don't lump me with those losers. But my generation <laughs> is like the end of the millennials. So like I still like I was outside until the age of 10 and then I played sports. That's a beautiful childhood. Yeah, it was great. Let's relive that lots one. Lots of bruises, a lot of scrapes, a lot of fights with my brother. So. Yeah, I feel like you just really were getting out there and causing oh, yeah. trouble. And I lived in a in a suburb, so, you know, lots of parks, lots of greenery, Aww. backyard. It was Phoenix? Was, yep, suburb of Phoenix, Awatuki. Yeah. Excuse me? Awatuki, yeah. Can, can you spell that? Yeah, I can. I'm not going to. Awatuki? Yeah. A-U-W-O-I-Tuki? Nope. A-H-W. A-H-W. I wasn't yeah. even that far off. Yeah. And then Watuki. Watuki. Yeah, two right. E's at the end. All right. Baseball. Don't be afraid. 
put the runner on second. Fans will complain for a moment. Mm-hmm. And like we said earlier, they'll move right along. But what if it doesn't work? What do you mean? What, you put a runner on second. It's what if going the, to what work. If the, what if the pitcher gets three outs at the plate? Great. And that's the end. Great. And then, you just keep going. Well, but, and you still get to 15 innings. How about we do a coin flip? How about after the seventh inning, you'd have two extra innings. So you, then the, so you, the eighth and the ninth are extra. And then after that, you do a coin flip. That's who wins the game. Then baseball's not going to seven innings. It, it should. You, baseball complains all the time about losing its younger fan base. What would you do with the seventh inning stretch? You'd have to have it in you the You don't fifth. have the seventh inning stretch. The you know, I researched the point of the seventh inning stretch. You know, it was just because William Taft's fat self just wanted to stand in the middle of the game. So he did, and everyone else followed him. That's the only reason we have yeah, that. Yeah, but then, but then Harry Carey came along, and it's just fun. People well, love the seventh yeah, inning stretch. Yeah, he drunkenly saying, take me out to the ball game, and that's great. It was awesome. Sure, but... <laughs> Let's. Uh, baseball right. too much about tradition. We need to move past it. That's why we have the same issues that we always have in baseball. Well, may- maybe in 2050 we'll get to the, s- the seventh inning. I'm just trying to get the. I'm trying to get extra innings taken care of. Yeah. And and I want to raise my hand in full support. Bring what they're doing in the minor leagues. Put that runner on second base. Just do it in the eleventh. Give me one old school tenth inning, sweet extra inning experience, and then we can move on. Eleventh runner on second. We could even, you want to do one and one counts, I'd throw that in there. Okay. Counts one and one. Let's, let's play some softball. I hey. Just give, me, just give me seven innings. Thanks for being with me today, Jasmine. Appreciate Absolutely. it. So, and thank you for checking out On The Mark. Please subscribe, give a rating, listen, tell somebody, this is my livelihood. You're helping me survive. Everything's on the line for me. Realize that you're doing a good thing. You are helping me. Not to make it about me. I know that's uncomfortable. But <laughs> I appreciate it if you will su- subscribe, give a rating, and uh, thank you for listening. Thanks to Tibbs for uh, his comments on the Celtics. Thanks for BJ Armstrong for being on today. Eddie George, my man Ethan Blumenthal. Most importantly, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, I am truly in love with you. We will see you next Monday. The podcast comes out every Monday afternoon. Thanks for listening to On the Mark. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.